Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. All right, so we are continuing our series called Authentic Church. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, uh, the idea of authentic doesn't necessarily mean real versus fake. That's not what we're going for. You'll remember the story I told in week one about the earthquake in Los Angeles. And uh, I think it was in the mid-90s. And what happened during this earthquake is the power went out in some of the suburbs of Los Angeles. The street lights went out. The building lights went out. Everything went out. And what happened was people came out of their home after the earthquake in the middle of the night, and they looked up, and they didn't know what they were seeing in the sky. Well, because the power was out in the city, all the light pollution was gone, and they could clearly see the stars and planets and Milky Way. And they were shocked because they had never seen it before in Los Angeles because of all the lights. They were seeing the authentic sky, the authentic sky. Now, there is a lot of lights in the city, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. We need lights to be able to drive around and see things at night. But sometimes the lights of the city uh, pollute us from seeing what's really authentic in the sky. And in the same way as a church, there are many things that we can focus on as a church that get in the way of seeing what church is really about. And so over this series, we have looked at things like God's word. The church should authentically be about God's word. We've talked about community. What does it mean for us to be an authentic community of believers? Uh, Last week, oh, we talked about, what did we talk about last week? I can't even remember now. Prayer, prayer? It was prayer. My mind's a little fuzzy, y'all. We talked about prayer last week, and then next week, Cody's going to be talking about worship. But today, we're going to be talking about serving. What does it mean for the church to serve? What does it mean for us to serve each other as individuals? Because the culture of the kingdom of God is one of serving. We're going to read Matthew chapter 20. Um, verses 20 through 28. And in this story, Jesus' disciples come to him. They actually don't even come to him. They get their mom to come to him and ask for this position of greatness in his kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. That's not the culture of my kingdom. So let's read Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want, he asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. And he told them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. 
On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life as a ransom for many. The Word of God. Amen. I don't know if you've ever watched improv comedy. Improv comedy is different than a comedian standing up and telling jokes. Improv comedy involves many people on the stage at the same time, and they have to play off each other based on a situation they're given in the moment. They have to improvise. And so you might say something like, bunny rabbits fighting World War III. And then the three of them, or whoever's on the stage, has to act that out in the moment, and they have to play off each other. And if you've ever watched a show like Whose Line Is It Anyway?, it is hysterical to watch these creative people play off each other as they do comedy. Uh, but it has to work a certain way. If anyone in that group begins to think that they're the center of attention, that everyone else is there to serve them, then improv comedy doesn't work. I don't know if you've ever seen the show The Office, the comedy, the documentary, the mockumentary, where Michael Scott, one of the main characters, always goes and does improv, and he always thinks everyone else is there to serve him. And no one likes to do improv with him because he's always turning the story in about himself. Stephen Colbert, the, the late night talk show host, actually did improv for a while before he got into talk shows. And he said this about improv. He said, there are very few rules about improv comedy. But one of the things I was taught early on is that you are not the most important person in the scene. Everybody else is. And if they are the most important person in the scene, you will naturally pay attention to them and serve them. But the good news is you're in the scene too. So hopefully to them, you're the most important person and they will serve you. No one is leading. You're all following the follower. You're all serving the servant. You can't win improv. Colbert went on to talk about the culture he's trying to create on his talk show. And he said, yes, I mean, the, the show has my name on it, the Colbert Report. And all these people, in a sense, are here to serve me as we come up with jokes. But he says, the best nights on the show, the best jokes are usually when we're in the back room and we're trying to come up with jokes together and we really serve each other in becoming funnier and funnier so that when the joke is actually told, we can't remember who came up with it. That seems like an interesting, awesome culture to be around or to be in, a culture of servanthood. A culture of servanthood. Jesus teaches that the culture of his kingdom is one of serving. It's one where greatness isn't power, but serving other people. The culture of the kingdom of God is one of serving. So as a member of the kingdom of God, would you say that the culture of your heart is one to serve? Is the culture of your own heart one to serve? Now, each of us faces barriers when we try and serve. Uh, one, is, one barrier is the me mindset. The me mindset. Now, James and John come before Jesus with their mom. I, I love how they get their mom to come and ask. Like, we can't even ask what we're really thinking. We're going to get mommy to come and ask for us. And what they want is they want to be at the center of things. They are thinking in this me mindset 
that is so pervasive in our own culture because we live in a culture of consumerism, a culture where it's all about what can you give to me. Mark Sayers says we are shaped by a culture of consumerism and spectatorship. We favor rights over responsibilities. We live to acquire a portfolio of possessions and cool experiences. That's it. But but Paul also gets to that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and he he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Some versions say vain conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Selfish ambition, conceit, that's the me mindset. Pastor Don Sunakjan says, selfish ambition is insisting on my own way. It is wanting to be more prominent and make others yield to what I say. Vain conceit is doing all that because you believe you're the most important. It's because you believe you're the most deserving. And vain conceit is because you assume that your thoughts and your desires and your emotions and your happiness are more important than anyone else's. That's the culture we live in. Yet Paul tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The me mindset is a barrier to serving because when you have the me mindset, you step into a situation assuming that everyone else is there to serve you rather than you be there to serve them. Well, how do we break out of the me mindset? Well, Paul tells us, consider others as more important than yourself. Consider, it's like an accounting term. It's like count them as more important than you. Now, that doesn't mean you're worthless and they're, and they're worth something. It doesn't even mean that they're less or more skilled than you. It's just that in your mindset, you see how Jesus has served you, and you make those other people important in your own mind so that you see their interests and you want to serve them. It's approaching other people rather than seeing how they can benefit you. It's seeing them and say, how can I benefit them? Even this week, as you plan, maybe one way to break out of the me mindset is just to look at everything that you have on your plate, but then start to think about other people and think about what they have on their plate. How can I help? How can I serve? How can I make what's going on in their life important to me? That's how to break out of the me mindset. But there's another mindset we see in this passage, and it is the big mindset versus the basic mindset. James and John come and they say, hey, we know that you're big time and we want to be big time. So we would like to serve big time on the right and left of you when you bring in your kingdom. You know, we're, we're ready for this. We want to be exalted with you. And Jesus says, that's not really how it works. Uh, you need to serve if you're going to be great in my kingdom. And throughout the Bible, Jesus commands and the apostles command us to focus more on the basics than on the big time. I mean, even if you read 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, Peter writes this, and listen for the details, the basic ways to love people. It says, above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, did you, did you hear the basic ways to love your neighbor? Love them. Serve them. Look at the resources you have in your life and go, how can I use that for the benefits of others? Not only that, but like serve people and be hospitable to them without complaining. How many times you have people over and as soon as they leave, you're like, I'm glad they're gone. We did our service to Jesus, but it is over. What does it look like for us to, to focus less on the big time and more on the basic of seeing people's needs and meeting those needs by loving them? I mean, even, even watching our words. Did you hear what he said? If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. How often do we think about each word we say and put it through the filter of going, will this benefit someone else? Will this serve someone else? Or am I just saying what I want to say? Now, that doesn't mean we have to hold all our words in. And yet at the same time, how often do we think of our words as a tool that God can use to serve other people? We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's Word. Often we focus on the big time and forget about the basics. Shane Claiborne said this. He said, everybody wants a revolution, but no one wants to wash dishes. Everybody wants a revolution, but no one wants to wash dishes. He goes on to say, we want to change the world in shocking ways in deep ways, in meaningful ways. And in the process of getting to these shocking, amazing, headline-grabbing ways of changing the world, we miss the basics. We miss the basic ways people need to be loved, the basic ways people need care. We miss the basic needs right in front of us because they aren't attention-grabbing enough. One of the barriers we can have is going big time rather than going basic. So even as you think about your week, who just needs something basic? Love, forgiveness, hospitality. Who needs some words chosen by God to be encouraged? When we think about the basic, it helps us break out of the big-time mindset and those barriers to serving. Because when we serve, there are huge benefits. There are huge benefits to serving. And the first one is that when we serve, it is a way for us personally to denounce our idols. It is a way for us to denounce our idols because in our culture, we live in a culture where self-fulfillment is the highest good. In other words, we think that the best thing we can do is serve myself. And in doing that, we're actually not serving God. We're making our fulfillment into God. And we do this in subtle ways. Like we look at the gifts and the talents and the resources that we have. And our first thought isn't, man, God put these in my hands so I could bless someone else. We, we think, God put these in my hands so I can bless me, right? You're there, I'm there. But in doing that, those talents and those resources and those gifts become something that we begin to worship. 
rather than a good gift that we can give away, it becomes God to us. And so when we serve with our gifts and our talents and our resources, it is a way to denounce them as idols. These things are not God. They're just gifts from God that I can use for someone else. One of my favorite stories uh, from pro football has to do with the quarterback, Derek Carr. And a couple years ago, Derek Carr signed a new contract for $125 million. Not 1.25, not 12.5, $125 million. And as he signed that contract, you know what he said? Not this money is going to be awesome. I'm going to buy a boat and a house and all this stuff. He said, this money is going to help a lot of people. Man, come to New City. We can, you can help us right here. We need a new parking lot. But, but, but honestly, what I loved about what Derek Carr said even more was if you think about it, in the NFL, there's a salary cap on each team. And so each team can't just spend endless amounts of money. The Las Vegas Raiders have a limit on the amount of money they can spend. And if Derek Carr gets $125 million, it means that there's less for everybody else. But Derek Carr said this. We figured out a way to do it. That is the $125 million. We figured out a way to do it so we have the opportunity to sign other guys to the team that I think are important to this organization. This was really important to me. Not to just take every single dime that I could. I hope that's known. Wow. Do you you sense the way that he's denouncing the idol of money? And the way he's saying, I want to help other people, and I'm not just interested about getting paid. I'm interested about serving. And one of the benefits of serving is when we use our time and our resource and our talents and our gifts for other people, it denounces those things as God and just says, no, 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 they're just gifts from God that I can use to serve other people. Another benefit of serving is it actually develops your church. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Okay, I want you to focus in there on the work of ministry. In the Greek, that work of ministry, ministry means service. Now, I'm called a minister, right? People like Minister Homus, Pastor John, and right there you see me, some pastors and teachers. That's me. I'm a pastor and teacher. But what happens sometimes, whether it's from good intentions or bad intentions, is people go, Pastor We want to help you do the ministry. But that's not what this is saying. What the Ephesians 4 is saying is that I'm actually a gift to this church to equip you and train you and disciple you and inspire you so that you can do the ministry. So that you can do the ministry. My job is not to do all the ministry. My job is to equip and instruct you. Now, the amazing thing is as you do the works of ministry in this church, you actually get to develop your church. You get to watch God grow the church over time. As you're equipped for works of service in your home or in your workplace or in this church, you see God grow the church so that it reaches unity, so that it reaches maturity, so that we all know Jesus together. See, you thought you were just coming on Sundays to run parking duty. 
You thought we were just coming on Sunday to work with the kids. But that's actually God using you to grow us all. And listen, at times, serving in your church and developing your church, it is mundane. Sometimes you want to sleep, and I get it. Yet God uses your simple service to grow this church. Amen. I know that a lot of times we can get distracted in South Florida by fear of missing out, right? Like we're like, okay, I served three weeks ago. I don't want to do it again. There's somewhere else I could go and just and be a part of excited, something exciting. But what Paul is telling us in this passage is that if we actually don't jump in and serve, we are missing out. We're missing out on being part of God developing and growing our church. And what's amazing is, is not, not just with the building and how this building uh, came to be ours and not just uh, with, with physical things, but the maturity of this church continues to deepen. The willingness to push in to unity in the midst of a disastrous year of 2020 is amazing to me. Now, I'm here to serve you, but that doesn't happen through me. It happens as I pour into you and you serve one another. God develops this church as you serve. And the great thing about it is everyone has a different brand of serving. Different brand of serving. The Bible calls these spiritual gifts or gifts that have been given to you by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in the Bible, there's all sorts of gifts. There's the gift of administration. There's the gift of helps. There's the gift of evangelism. There's the gift of hospitality and leadership and mercy. And the list goes on and on and on. And now we're all called to participate in each of those. But some, some of those are our speciality. In other words, when we do those, we're blessed and other people are blessed. For instance, I don't sing on the worship team for a good reason. That's not my thing. You would not be blessed. But the people up here do because when they do, they're blessed and you are blessed. Don't clap too loud on that. But whatever gift you have, God has put it in you to steward. That means that you have a gift that he has entrusted to you to use for the benefit of other people. Right? Like, like if someone gave you $1,000 and said, this isn't for you to spend. This is for you to take this $1,000 and make as much more money as you could with it. It's the same thing with your spiritual gift. Your spiritual gift is yours that you use to serve others. Back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter says in 4.10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Now, the way that we look at using those gifts at New City is through teams. We don't want anyone to have to do anything alone or be alone or have everything be on their sh shoulders. And so everyone serves on a team. We have the kids team, the worship team, the audio-visual team, the welcome and the safety team. We have ministries like the moms group, the recovery group, the 20s and 30s group that started. And all those places are places for you to plug in and use your gift. Use your brand of service to build up the body. Here's the question. Where's your, what's your brand? And where are you using it? What's your brand and where are you using it? We're called to use our spiritual gifts for the benefit of others. But we're also called to supply needs. In other words, each of us, as we live in this congregation, we're going to see various needs that we can meet either with our time or our energy 
or our finances. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them, listen, there's this church in Jerusalem, and they are low on funds. And we need you guys to step up by the grace of God and give so that this church in Jerusalem, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, so that they can flourish. Paul says, each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service. The ministry of this service is not only in supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, by the Corinthians stepping up and meeting the financial needs of their brothers and sisters, it was serving. It is serving. One of the things I loved about last year was that we saw many people in this church step up and say, where are their financial needs in our church that we can meet, that we can serve in by giving? What was amazing is last year during 2020, because of people's generosity and their willingness to serve with their finances, we were able to help out other people with seven and a half thousand dollars. Yeah. That went to help pay people's rent. That went to support people in mental health. Uh, That went to help people repair homes. And we were able to do that and serve other people in our church because you stepped up and gave generously. Uh, And not only that, but last year we were able to serve churches around the world. I just got to talk to Pastor Macklin Basse, who is a church planner in Togo. He came about a year ago, and if you've been part of the church for a year, you remember him. Um, And it's amazing what they're doing in Togo, West Africa. Things have really changed for them. And as they're planting this church, he has started to do a morning devotional that he gets up at 3 a.m., and he does this morning devotional via video, and then he sends it out on WhatsApp. And every day, it goes viral. He sends it to 10 people, and they send it to 10 people each, and then they send it to 10 people. And all of a sudden, this gospel-centered, Jesus-honoring devotional is spread throughout the country, and it's starting to leak out across the continent of Africa. And we get to be part of it because we're supporting Pastor Macklin, and we're in partnership with him. And last year, we were able to give uh, almost $7,000 to their church planning efforts in Togo. It's exciting to be a part of. Not only that, but we were able to give uh, uh, $5,000 to other church planning efforts around the country. I'll tell you a funny story. We, um, three years ago, we were in a tight financial spot, and this church in Fort Lauderdale that was also a church plant was able to give us a $1,000 check just to help us pay some bills. Well, that church is in a financial tough spot. And so at the end of the year, just to show them that we saw them and we wanted to supply their needs, we wrote them a check for $1,001. Just to bless them and to have a little fun with them, you know? But, But see, because you all are generous, we're able to meet the needs of not only people in our church, but also people around the world. And next year, we're adding more. You know, Pastor Winston Miller, who's planting in Lauder Hill, we're going to be able to take him on and give financial support to him as they launch their church 
It's very exciting. Serving, whether it be through finances or your gifts, your talents or your treasures, it's part of the culture of the kingdom. And it's so important for us now. Why? Because serving is not the culture of our country. Our, our culture, the culture of our country right now is completely divided. Right? You don't offer your hands in service. You raise your fists to grab power and defeat and destroy your opponents. And, and even, even let, let me be honest, even as we read some of this, we can think, well, the serving thing, that would happen in a nice little country church out there where everyone's the same. But, but Jesus isn't giving this lesson um, into, a, into a situation like that. Let's read it one more time. Matthew chapter 20 through 25, 25 through 27. Listen to the backdrop of what he calls us to. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Jesus gives this command to be servants. In the midst of political tension, in the midst of people grabbing for power over one another, He says, here's the culture of my kingdom. We serve one another. And so quite frankly, let me put it this way. Some of you after the last week are celebrating that there is true representation of yourself in the second highest office in the land. Some of you are celebrating that. Amen. And others of you are terrified of losing your religious freedom. Both of those things are true. Serve one another. Serve one another. Don't think of yourself as more important than other people. Serve those, even the ones that you disagree with. It's the backdrop of political tension that Jesus is calling his very followers to serve in. Because he is the ultimate king. Matthew 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that term son of man has a deep Old Testament understanding in the book of Daniel. The son of man was this political figure, this great king who who would come from the heavens and he would be sort of like man and sort of like God, but he would come to rule and to judge all the nations. Yet, what does Jesus say he's come to do? This greatest political figure of all time, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve. This would have blown the minds of his disciples. That he had come to serve, and that is how he rules. See, friends, politicians come, politicians go. Countries rise, and countries fall. But the King of Kings has come to serve. And the greatest among us are those that 
Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.